Hello, this is Will Stoller for Payday Loan Industry Watch, PLIwatch.org, which produces this podcast. PLI Watch is an independent source for news and information about what's happening in the payday loan and cash advance industries. We're able to bring you this service based on donations and sponsorships. The content of this podcast is unlikely to reflect the views of sponsors or donors. This is PLIwatch.org podcast number five and is for the week of June 12th. We are pleased to have recently interviewed credit industry specialists Emily Davidson and Valerie Miller from Credit.com about the credit industry in general and the payday loan industry specifically. From Credit.com about Credit.com, quote, Led by a former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs, Credit.com provides consumers a unique perspective on the financial world. For over 10 years, Credit.com has offered insightful tools and straight answers. Through partnerships with the industry's leading companies, Credit.com offers a diverse range of products to consumers, including personal loans, credit reports, credit cards, auto loans, and payday loans. A bit about our interviewees. Valerie Miller is a personal finance and consumer law attorney. Valerie contributes analysis of credit laws, proposed legislation and tax news to Credit.com and CreditBloggers.com. Emily Davidson is Credit.com's communication director and a former transunion credit expert. Emily writes about credit reports, credit scores, loans, and personal finance for Credit.com and is moderator of CreditBloggers.com. During our interview with Emily and Valerie, we asked some difficult questions. Emily and Valerie answered straightforwardly. We appreciate their candor, and we hope you do too. On to the interview. Welcome, Emily and Valerie. We're pleased to have you join us today. Let's go ahead and get started. First question. I've read that the payday loan industry is estimated to be a $40 billion industry, a $20 billion industry, and dollar amounts in between. How many billions of dollars do you think the industry is worth, and where does this place it within the overall U.S. credit industry? This is Valerie. The lack of reliable industry figures is pretty indicative of the fact that there is very little regulation over the payday loan industry. There is very little oversight or consistent understanding of how the businesses operate from state to state, from lender to lender. The payday loan industry itself is a lot smaller than the traditional lending industry, but it's not clear about how many people are turning to these loans. Okay. Let me go ahead and uh, lead to the second question here. Almost all national press about the payday loan industry appears to be negative. I don't think that that's in dispute. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you to combat that negative press directly or even comment on it, but I am interested in you providing some facts for our listeners to put that negativity in context. I'll give you an example. The press commonly runs a human interest story about a person that borrowed from the payday loan industry and how that person paid quote-unquote outrageous fees. Now, it strikes me that the overall credit industry is just as aggressive in its fee collection, but it does its credit collection activities over a longer period of time, and this doesn't seem to raise many media eyebrows. Now, if I understand correctly, more consumers are paying billions of dollars of interest on their mortgages and credit cards and car payments than people paying back payday loans. Can you contextualize the issue of consumer debt industry-wide to put the payday loan industry's practices into some form of perspective? Oh, this is Emily. I think... You know, the main issue is that the payday loan industry is just really not very well understood. Um, payday loans meet a need in the marketplace that traditional institutions don't really serve. 
short-term small loans such as payday loans just really aren't available to consumers anywhere else. Borrowers who have bad credit or no credit are looking to borrow you know, a few hundred dollars really have very few alternatives. They may be able to go to a pawn shop or you know, to get into some other situation that's going to be very harmful to them. If used correctly, payday loans can actually be a fairly affordable solution. When you compare payday loans to traditional larger auto loans or personal loans, you know, these types of loans certainly are more expensive. But you know, when you talk about a loan being very short-term and very high risk, it really makes sense in, you know, in comparison with the rest of the loan industry. As with any loan, as you shorten the term and open your borrower criteria, you see rates and fees increase. You know, the shorter the term, the higher the risk, the more expensive the loan is going to be. You know, there are a lot of honest payday lenders out there who offer really good solutions to borrowers. You know, we here at Credit.com spend a lot of time seeking out these lenders for our online network. But unfortunately, there are also a lot of dishonest lenders, and it can be really difficult for consumers to tell the difference. Okay, point taken, and thank you. I guess I want to stay with the negative press issue for just a moment. First, in what context do you see payday loans as compared to the many other forms of available credit? You've already addressed that a little bit, but I'd like you to tackle that one a little more. And do other forms of credit suffer similar criticisms or related criticisms in the press? Payday loans can be an affordable and convenient solution for consumers as long as they're being used responsibly. And this means following the lender's instructions and repaying the amount that you borrowed within a few weeks. The problem that happens is that when borrowers can't meet these terms, they can really easily get sucked into a payday loan cycle and their debt can grow really quickly. Because payday loans don't require a credit check, people with no credit or bad credit turn to them instead of using credit cards. They don't have access to other forms of convenient short-term credit. It's interesting to note that credit cards also receive a lot of the same criticism in the media as the payday loan industry, although the rates are much lower. It's very similar, though, if you get into a really negative situation where you have a credit card that's maxed out, you have a really high minimum payment, maybe you're missing payments. You know, the fees can actually be really comparable with a payday loan if you get into that sort of situation. I think what it might relate to is that, you know, this whole industry is fairly new. Even when we're talking about credit cards, you know, credit cards have only been widely used for a few decades. Payday loans, really, that's only a few years. There's still not a lot of understanding overall. Okay. One of the things that we do sort of know is that the payday loan industry claims that the payday loans are to be used for emergency purposes only. Here's a statistic. According to the Center for Responsible Lending, a financial think tank, only 1% of emergency payday loans go to one-time emergency borrowers. The remainder, according to the Center's studies, go to people who, on average, receive 8 to 13 payday loans per year from a single payday shop. First, do you have an opinion about the research conducted by the Center for Responsible Lending? And then second, is there any way you can make a comparison between the problems the Center identifies with payday loans and other forms of credit For example, why are other forms of credit supposedly more desirable to have, you know, lower fees, but is there more to it than that? I guess for the audience, can you educate us more about fees, terms, legalities, and the other issues you see? Well, I'll do my best. This is Valerie. I have high regards for the Center for Responsible Lending. It's a very important organization. Along with looking at the payday loan industry, they evaluate lenders, including predatory mortgage lenders and tax refund anticipation lenders. In this research that I think you're discussing, the CRL represents the standard arguments against payday lending, and I think it's really good for consumers to know what those are. It's always good to have a balanced approach. However, this particular research I don't think is as balanced as it might be. For one thing, there are probably just aren't that many borrowers who have more than one payday loan per month. And in this study, they don't mention how quickly loans are generally repaid, which is a major factor in determining the overall cost to the borrower. 
as a form of the subprime lending, payday loans, just like high interest rate credit cards, are the subject of a lot of controversy. Um, here, the CRL claims that payday lenders target the young and the poor, near military bases, low-income communities, and, and those who may not understand the time value of money. Other critics go even further, comparing payday lenders to loan sharks due to high interest rates that they charge borrowers. CRL argues here that the interest rates and payday lending really unfairly disadvantages the poor compared to the middle class. But the reality is the same thing happens to the disadvantaged or middle class or upper class in terms of credit cards. Consumer groups like CRL suggest that these small unsecured loans are not good for borrowers, arguing that small dollar loans at conventional interest rates in shorter terms would never be profitable enough for lenders to make the loans to begin with. But there's very little truth to that position. In the first place, payday loan processing costs do not differ very much at all from the higher principal, longer-term counterparts like home mortgages. As a good example, a $100 one-week loan at a 20% APR compounded weekly would generate only 38 cents of interest, which would fail to even cover the loan processing costs for a lender. I think another interesting study is one by the FDIC. Their research and think tank put out a study that uh, indicates that lenders' operating costs really fall into the category of advanced fees collected, not necessarily the interest on the unsecured loan. Uh, the study further indicates that the reality is, after subtracting fixed operating costs and unusually high rate of default losses, payday loans are not necessarily yielding uh, the lenders extraordinary profits, as the CRL seems to indicate in the study. It's also very interesting to note that based on the annual reports of publicly traded payday loan companies, that they lose an average of 15% or more on their loan revenue every year. Underwriters of payday loans also have to deal with borrowers who present fraudulent checks as security or stop payments before they get paid. So they're really, the concept of calling them predatory lenders, arguing that they're making a bundle on people who are uneducated and disadvantaged is not necessarily true. On the other hand, one could argue that the interest on a payday loan is a lot less than the cost associated with bounced checks or late credit card payments. For example, let's say a consumer bounced a $100 check and incurred a non-sufficient payment fee from the bank of about $28, which is standard, and then had to pay a return check fee of $25 from the merchant. I mean, that amounts to a pretty high APR. Unsecured credit card loans can also amount to pretty high APRs. $100 for borrowers who need short-term cash and don't have the credit and can't get a personal loan for a small amount of money, they may consider taking um, some of their valuables to a pawn shop. So let's say they borrow $100 from the pawn shop at a 20% service fee, and that amounts to a 240% APR. We just covered the bounce check example, and there's also a $100 credit card balance with a $26 late fee amounts to a 678% APR. So I'm not so sure that there's a lot of options available for people who need some quick cash in, in the short term and don't have good credit. I guess I, I want to just hop in and say that, you know, you, you folks understand the entirety of the credit universe. You're starting to compare and, and do a great comparison, actually, of payday loan industry with some others. I guess I wanted to hop in here and say that one of the things that I agree with you on is that it does bother me in some sense to see the way the issue gets played up so that it, in some sense, is very tasty for the for the press, but may not actually be based on the facts. It bothers me to see consumer activists that want to abolish or severely restrict the payday loans. 
They don't think too much about what it's going to do to the consumers. One of the things we've noticed in the news is that there is an effect on consumers, uh, especially if a consumer base is relying on a semi-recurring payday loan and the industry goes away, sort of like it did in North Carolina. I guess where I'd like you to go, if you don't mind talking to our listeners for a minute about it, is what are the alternatives to payday loans, apart from a pawn shop, right? Let's say you're a consumer, you have an immediate need for a small loan, like let's say less than 500 bucks. Your credit's shot, don't own a house, car's a junker, you have no savings. You know, where do you go and what do you do? Of course, you know, I constantly see things for credit repair or longer term solutions for sort of fixing the credit, but this person would need the money right away. Maybe not for an emergency, but they'd need it. So I guess the question is, what are the options instead of a payday loan? Are there real options for consumers in that situation besides payday loans? And are those options widely available? You know, how do they stack up? Well, this is Emily. I think what Valerie kind of talked about recently is, uh, you know, talking about the differences between the pawn loan fees and the different options that consumers have. And the real issue is the consumer in the situation that you just described has really very, very few options. You know, they could bounce the checks and then they have to deal with those fees, which can be, you know, a couple hundred dollars from their bank. They could max out their credit cards, which, again, is going to be a lot of fees, a lot of expensive costs from their credit card company, if they even have a credit card. Again, if they have a credit card, they could try requesting a credit card cash advance. Very expensive, again. You know, we're getting into the same range. You know, these choices can all be as or more expensive than a payday loan. Credit.com weighs very heavily our decision to offer these loans. And what we did is we said, okay, if we're going to offer these, let's sit down and crunch the numbers. And we actually took a situation like you described and said, here are the breakdown. You know, here's the cost for the, you know, the consumer and their different choices. And what we found is that a payday loan, when used responsibly, as we, you know, encourage all of our customers to do, and we give them all that information up front, you know, it's actually one of the more affordable options for borrowing a very short-term amount of money. You know, I wish that people didn't have to face these types of financial emergencies, but unfortunately it's a reality in today's economy for for far too many people. And to answer your second question, I think it's really important that we do the right thing for consumers. You know, like you mentioned, shutting down the short-term loan industry is just really not a solution, and allowing it to continue unregulated at the same time is really not an option either. Uh, You simply can't ignore the demand for these loans. I think one really interesting compromise that we've seen emerge just in the last few weeks is a bill that was proposed in North Carolina. And you mentioned that North Carolina has recently passed some very strict restrictions on uh, payday loan industry in general, um, this new bill proposes set rates and fees and terms for payday loans and actually has established some feeler partnerships with financial institutions to provide them. In this way, you know, consumers can still get the loans that they need while working with an established regulated lender. These loans have, you know, very competitive rates and fees, and they also have a longer repayment period. I think it's 90 days in the proposed bill, and that would be a great solution for consumers, and Credit.com very much supports that kind of action. Just going off the path a little bit, do, do you think that that's going to propagate across the country? Do you think it has a chance to catch on? You know, it really depends. The thing is that a lot of these consumer groups, like the Center for Responsible Lending, CRL, um, you know, have come out and said that they're against that new proposed legislation. And I think, you know, what you talked about before is this issue has become very political and very, you know, divisive in the country. And I think if you take a step back and you look and see, you know, okay, consumers really want and need these loans. And if they're responsibly managed and if they have the right kind of lending oversight from the government and from the usury law, you know, 
this is something that that we should be promoting for consumers, you know, as as a solution for them in a short-term emergency type situation. It's not something that we should just ban outright. I guess I want to touch on the issue of payday loan legality. Some states, well, states do have different laws and regulations for payday loans. You know, some states it's outright banned. I guess my question is, you know, how how are payday lenders regulated at the federal level and by whom? Or, you know, are there regulations that sort of tap in to affect them? Second, I was wondering, you know, a little bit about the history. There's no national payday lending law. You know, is there history to that? And how does that apply to the rest of the credit industry? Third, um, the federal and state regulations, right? How do they compare in general to the regulatory practices applying to everybody? Uh, this is Valerie. Um, first of all, um, as Emily's mentioned, we really do think that there ought to be um, some more regulation that is less varied. Right now, there's a patchwork of regulation across the states, and there actually is a patchwork of regulation at the federal level as well. For example, the FDIC can't regulate state chartered banks, but they can regulate federally chartered banks. So you can see right there that a federal bank and a state bank can operate somewhat differently in each state, and that's the same reason that there's very little federal regulation for payday loans. Um, What they can do in an organization like the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, the FDIC, is they can make recommendations, and that's primarily the only type of regulation that's come down in terms of the payday loan industry. They might present a regulation on their website and send it out to all their chartered banks and say, look, you need to provide more notice and it has to be in larger type, that type of thing, but nobody's coming right out and regulating against payday loans or stating that they're illegal. In fact, there is a a case called the Marquette case that allows one state to pass its interest rates onto another state where the usury rate may be lower. That creates a situation where one bank in a state where payday loans are illegal partners with a state bank from another state and the second state passes its interest rate onto the first state, and therefore the, the regulators can't do much about it. Isn't that the issue that I guess Spitzer got involved with in New York? Are you familiar right. with that issue? Okay. And, there, and there's some misunderstanding when people say that payday loans are illegal in, in some states. They're really not. What usually happens if you take a look at the state law is that the Small Loan Act in that state will set the interest rate and the amount that a borrower can borrow. And then they also insist that any of the lenders that make those small loans are licensed by the state. So what they actually do are making small loans sort of akin to the North Carolina uh, bill that Emily just proposed, but not as well thought out in most cases. But you just have to be licensed, and that way they can um, protect, offer their consumers some protection against reputable lenders. I appreciate that uh, analysis on that issue. I guess I have sort of a, a related and final question Just about the online lending business in general, in the credit industry online, what's happening with it? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is it static? And once we sort of understand a little more about the overall industry, how does the payday lending segment fit into the bigger picture? Is it strictly an emergency loan kind of situation? Is it strictly for those that can't get loans in other ways? I mean, can can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. This is Emily. Uh, 
I think really online lending, like most other online services over the last few years, we've seen really rapid growth. Um, as consumers become more tech savvy, they're increasingly looking online for loans and products. You know, people now buy everything from cars to you know airline tickets. They're getting much more comfortable online. Uh, you know, think about how many people go online and search for a mortgage instead of meeting with a local broker these days. It's really equivalent the same thing with the payday loan industry. You know, a lot of people still have storefront payday lenders, but really there's a lot of growth online. I think overall the online loan industry is going to be really good for consumers. It's really easier to shop and compare for rates, and borrowers have a lot more power. You know, if you're going into a storefront, you don't really have any options and rates to compare. But if it's online, consumers can do a lot more shopping and comparing and trying to find the best deal for them. However, like we mentioned before, it really is a challenge for consumers to distinguish between established companies and fraudsters online. Uh, when you're dealing with local offices, again, it's easy to tell the difference between a big brick building, you know, like a big first bank in your city versus, you know, the back of a van. But online, you know, it's not necessarily easy to tell between someone's established, thoughtful, you know, responsible payday lender and someone that might be out to just rip off consumers. Um, I think when shopping online, consumers really need to look for things like verisign seals, trustee verification, secured forms, and recognizable brands. And I always recommend that when in doubt, customers should call the company and ask about their services. There's no harm in just trying to contact them, seeing what their rates and fees are, and just doing a little legwork before you sign over your personal information for that loan. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good policy. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time today, both of you. Very knowledgeable and appreciate your comments on the industry. Thank you very much. Thank you for thank having you. us. Our pleasure. This week's podcast did not have a sponsor. If you want to reach out to listeners who are interested in payday loans, cash advances, and the payday loan industry, please contact Robert James via the contact page on our website. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep PLIwatch.org running, please see the donations page on our website. Remember, visit PLIwatch.org for industry-independent news, RSS news feeds, helpful tips, and older podcasts. You can also take a look at our listings and reviews of payday loan vendors. Thanks for listening.